Welcome to Urban Wildlife Tales, where you'll hear stories, tips, and tricks about humanely dealing with our furry and sometimes scaly friends. I'm your host, Dusty Showers, solving your daily nuisance wildlife issues. Welcome to Urban Wildlife Tales. This is your host, Dusty Showers. Now, I think there's a couple things that I want to talk about today, but we're going to start off with a, um, uh, you know, it, it's kind of a funny phone call that it, because it, it happens every now and then. Um, sadly, I, I kind of feel where she's coming from, but it's something that I, I can't bear the burden of it. And what happens in this business, and, and if you don't know, I'm a humane nuisance urban wildlife trapper. That's a big word. It goes by lots of different uh, names and such, but uh, I earn a living by resolving issues with wildlife and people, uh, typically in urban areas. I learned how to do it in the Chicago suburbs. Now I do it in the Tampa Bay area. So it's typically raccoons and rats, bats, bees, possums, skunks, squirrels, um, and snakes. So um, snakes can can definitely be a challenge. And this is the setup of the phone call that I got yesterday, and it it happens. Uh, every now and then with various animals, but a lady called me and I was not available. So she left a message and she said, I'm a, uh, I, I live in whatever town I have a snake in my house and 911 told me to call you. So I, I couldn't take the call, but she called back just a, a couple minutes later. So, uh, I was able to grab my phone and talk to her and she said, you know, I have the snake in my bedroom and I need you to come get it. And she's freaking out and, and telling me a billion different stories about this scenario. So this was a Sunday afternoon. And I said, sure, I'd be happy. Well, first, I, I wanted to confirm that she saw the snake. So, so many times people see a snake, they go call. And by the time they even pick up the phone, the snake is gone. So here's what you're left with. You, you can go out there and look for the snake, although most of the time you're not gonna find it. The snakes have places they can go. They can go up underneath the counters uh, or the, the cabinets underneath um, where the kick plate is or kickboard. Uh, they can find holes in the walls. They can get into boxes. There's just so many places where they can get into. So it's difficult to go out to a house and find a snake if somebody lost sight of it. And granted, there are times where you get out there and you can find the snake, but. I've always said that it's much harder to not find a snake than it is to find one because you have to look for it and look for it and look for it. And at what point do you give up on looking for it? So I've learned that I need to tell people there's a charge for me to come out even if I don't find the snake because there's a high likelihood that there is a snake or I'm sorry that I'm not going to find it. And I tell people that too. You know, I, I let them know that chances are that snake's probably going to be gone by the time I get out there. So I really, really, really want to make sure that they have their eyes on the snake and that they continue to keep their eyes on the snake. So from my point of view, it, it's hard to jump in my truck and drive, you know, and, and say it's 45 minutes away and I'm 10 minutes from their house and they call and say that they don't see the snake or someone else got the snake out. So it, they're always challenging phone calls. And even if you don't find them, you can follow up by putting uh, glue boards out, which I normally loathe glue boards, but for snakes and houses, you can put glue boards out and the snakes tend to, um, if they are still around, go into them. And then once a snake is in them, you can put olive oil or corn oil or vegetable oil on them. And that breaks up the glue of the glue board so the snakes can get out. 
So back to this case, the lady said, you know, she's freaking out and she's a widow and she doesn't have anyone there to help her. So I said, okay, I can come out for $95 and help you out. Now, after confirming that she, you know, she said, I can see part of the snake. So I'm sure that she saw the snake. And I said, $95 to come out. It was Sunday at 4 p.m. And she got mad at me. She said, I'm a widow and I don't have any money. Actually, she let off with saying, I don't have any money. And I was stunned by that. Uh, I didn't quite know what to say. So people think that because it's animals, that the state or the county or the city or somebody pays for it. But what happens is they get mad at us, the the trappers, the wildlife guys, for having the gall to charge somebody to do these things. So I, I don't think that they realize that we... We have full lives. We have things that we have to do every day. And to drive out to somebody's house to look for an animal costs us money, especially on a Saturday afternoon. Normally, a, an emergency call is $150 on a Sunday afternoon. So I, I was cutting her a break, but she got mad, told me she was a widow, that she doesn't have any money, and, and she eventually just hung up on me. So I, I don't know, you know, <laughs> it, it's just, it's... It's very interesting how like people don't take this perspective with bugs. If you saw a spider in your house, you wouldn't call 911 and say, there's a spider in my house, somebody needs to come get it. And then when they say, okay, we'll come out and it'll be $95, they say, well, I don't have any money. So what what goes through people's minds that they, you know, just because it's an animal or a snake that they think it's a free or covered service? So I, I don't know. It's always been very interesting. The other common thing that you hear is, you know, somebody might call and say, I have raccoons in my attic and I need you to come get them. So you say, okay, I'll, I'll be out. I can take care of it, tell what I'll do and give them a price. And they say, well, I'm not going to pay for it. They're not my raccoons. And then I say, well, I, I, they're not mine either. <laughs> so I, there, it's, it's just interesting. This, the, I don't know if it's entitlement or just that people don't have a clear understanding that that we don't get reimbursed by the county or the state and for what we do as humane nuisance wildlife trappers. We're a, we're a branch of pest control or we're a cousin of pest control, probably better way to put it. So we're related to pest control, but, but there's different mentalities. And uh, it, from a business perspective, one of the, the main differences is that we are a very reactionary business. Pest control is a very routine business. So, you know, there's very few cases where it's an emergency that you come out and have to do pest control. You know, it, it's normally not something that needs to be th done that day or the next day. So you can normally schedule pest control a week out. And then you also have ongoing pest control. So you you know what your schedule is going to be like next week. You even know with some idea what your schedule is going to be like next year because you have reoccurring accounts. With wildlife, you tend to do the job and then you're done with it. So, uh, and I'm going to talk to some of the, the trappers now. Uh, I've created a course and I call it a six-figure trapper. And I've done it for a couple reasons. And one of them was I've always been bothered by trappers that either don't know what they're doing or they don't care about how they do things. And the, the two negative things of that is they take advantage of people 
and they exploit animals. So, you know, this can, can be things such as they, there's an animal in an attic, so they put five traps on the ground and they catch a possum and a squirrel and a, and a raccoon and another raccoon. And then they tell the people, you had all these animals living up in your attic, that'll be $500, please. And then they upsell them on flea sprays and odor sprays and all this other stuff. Meanwhile, maybe they just had one raccoon up in their attic. So they did it on the backs of these other animals. And I was always taught that you focus on catching the target animal, only the animal that you need to catch. And most of the time you do that by setting traps up on the roof so that you can narrow down the animals that are around the trap using the proper bait. Uh, or what I call nudging, which is... Um, in many cases, you don't even need to catch an animal. It's encouraging the animal to leave. So you, between different smells or scents, uh, making it difficult for the animal to get in, you can you can encourage that animal to take the babies and leave. And that, that actually solves a couple problems. So, you know, normally when you catch an animal and you look to see if it's lactating, which is another thing the amateurs don't do, is they don't look to see if a squirrel or a raccoon is lactating, which means there's babies that you need to look for. But when you nudge the animal, the mother takes those babies and moves them out. So you don't have to, she doesn't have to be relocated. You know, statistics show that 80% of relocated animals die within 90 days. So this way she doesn't have to establish a new territory. She has to find a new home, but she doesn't need to find new food, water, and then, you know, fight for her life in a new territory. So that's a, a technique that I, I want to teach people. But, but part of the issue is I've always... You know, I've seen these trappers, and it, it makes me angry seeing the way they do business or they kill animals in attics. You know, recently somebody told me that a trapper shot the baby in, or shot the mother raccoon in the attic, and then there was then he relocated the babies three hours away, and then the afterbirth caused smells with flies and maggots and stuff, so they had to restore the attic, which cost six thousand dollars. And there's so many different things, and I, I'm covering that in a different podcast um, called Wildlife Morons. But um, but first, if you ever hear anybody talk about the afterbirth from raccoons causing problems, it's not afterbirth. It's mean that it means that they screwed up and they left a baby animal behind. But so I, you know, as I was always upset hearing things like this, I began to find out that there were more people that that were aware of this, more of uh, animal rights type people. And, and they're starting to come down on some of these trappers. But the difficult thing is we, we kind of operate under the radar, and especially in Florida. And it's very hard to catch people that don't do things the right way. And even if you catch them, how do you prove it? And so we've got this one group of people that, that they're angry and they're saying, we need to figure out how we can hurt these trappers and how we can, how we can you know, just shut them down and get them in trouble and everything. And I thought, well, that, that's great if we can do that. But instead, why don't we focus on the other side of it and take the trappers that do want to be good and show them how to be great, whether it's through marketing, whether it's through techniques, you know, it's, so there, there's two ways to attack it. And we can either cut the other guys down or we can build the other guys up. And I really believe that if we build the other guys up, you know, because if the other guys get cut down, we're still we're going to constantly be fighting against lousy trappers that are hurting animals and taking advantage of people. But if we build up the other trappers, that void is going to be filled and we're going to have a far far better industry. Some people think though that that you can't make money 
unless you're out there exploiting people and animals. And and I've always said that the money is not to be made on catching raccoons. And and recently I, I heard this cat uh, Russell Brunson talk about this, that is, he says amateurs focus on the front end, which is what I've always said. It's not about catching the raccoons. You don't you don't make your money catching raccoons. You make your money on the prevention. And you can go out to almost any place and look at it and point out weaknesses where it's possible to have animals coming in. Even if you've got burrowing animals, there's, thing, there's things that you can do. So instead of trying to convince people that we have problems with with a raccoon that's wandering through a yard and, you know, oh, that raccoon could have ringworms and screwworms and it's probably rabbit and I'm sure it has distemper and if it has a choice, it's going to go kill your father. They're not like that and we don't have to convince people that that's how they are. These animals have a place in our society and it shouldn't be a zero tolerance thing. People that say, I saw a raccoon, I have to get rid of it. Well, why? That's idiotic. And then for every moron that says that, there's a moron trapper that will say, you're right, it's probably got all these diseases. I'll come out and get it for $500. It's silly. And we need to be better than that. So understand, when you see an animal wandering around, it's okay. As long as it appears healthy. You know, like if you're concerned you saw a raccoon and you see a raccoon out during the day and you've always heard that if a raccoon's out during the day, it's probably rabid. That's not true. That is not true. It's kind of like you saying, I have a headache. I must have a brain tumor. No, it's a symptom of rabies. Being out during the day is a symptom of rabies, but it's not a diagnosis of rabies. But if you call up Joe Trapper and say, I saw a raccoon out during the day, he might just tell you, well, it's probably rabid for X amount of dollars. I'll come get it. And you don't need to do that. A symptom of rabies or distemper is, you know, we all know about the foaming of the mouth. But if they look coherent, if they're walking straight, that's okay. What you need to be concerned about is if they look like they're drunk they're falling over, they're walking in circles, things like that. But as long as it appears healthy, it's okay. Because here's the thing, if a raccoon is comfortable coming out during the day, if it feels safe coming out during the day, it will do that. And even more so, if it has babies, it's more likely to come out during the day. It has to compensate for all the nursing, so it has to eat more. So if you, if you see a raccoon out during the day and you go hire a trapper who tells you that it's probably sick and he needs to come get it, there's a high likelihood that you just took a mother raccoon away from her babies. And now three to five baby raccoons are going to die because they don't have their mother. So let's understand that seeing an animal out during the day does not mean it's sick. It's just a symptom. So if everything else matches up, it's okay. So we don't need to worry about it. So if you're in the trapping industry or if, you, or if you're thinking about getting into the trapping industry, I'd love to talk with you. I've got a Facebook page called Learn to Trap. So check out the, the Facebook page. I'm also doing webinars on becoming a six-figure trapper. And, and there's some, a couple new marketing things that I'm, I'm putting in place that I think are totally awesome. And you know, one of the challenges that I've had is is you try to market with the big guys. And I did this years ago with my original company. I, I had a company called Animal Instincts. I grew it to a half a million dollar company. 
But I did it by trying to keep up with the advertising of the big guys. So I was spending $5,000 a month in Yellow Page ads, and it killed me, and I made no money doing that. I had a lot of money coming in, but I had even more money going out. So there's so many good trappers, but we can't compete with the guys that are spending $50,000 a month. Yeah, that's right, $50,000 a month in advertising. But I've learned to do it on my own through Facebook and YouTube and Google. And I've also been burned by people that, you know, advertising guys that say, well, you have to have SEO and without SEO and without this and without that, you're not going to be able to survive. So then they convince you that you have to spend $500 a month. And then when you don't get any, any business from it, they say, well, it could take a few months. It doesn't happen right away. But some of these little guys don't have that budget to last a few months before you start getting one or two phone calls. And so as, as the little guys, the, the trappers that aren't doing a whole lot of business without a giant ad budget, we don't need to fall for that. YouTube and Facebook is a phenomenal tool, absolutely phenomenal, if you know how to use it. So to learn more, just go to my Learn to Trap Wildlife page, join a webinar, I'll tell you some things that can help you out. And if you need anything personally, you can email me at dusty at dustyshowers.com. Thanks for joining me today. Um, I got kind of an empty stomach and two cups of coffee, though. So I hope I wasn't too um, whatever. <laughs> um, I'm actually just leaving a job. So I, I've, I've learned that I can do these podcasts while I'm driving. And it's actually a far better studio than what I was trying to create in my house because I've got pergo floors and I've got two pit bulls with fingernails and I either have to lock them up in their fort or their, their crate and I feel guilty about that or they just walk around the whole time and the microphone picks up their fingernails and I and they just uh, they seem so sad and pathetic. So I, I learned, well, hey, I can just do it while I'm driving and everything's much better. So I hope to see you again on the next podcast. Thanks for checking it out. Discover how to build a six-figure business humanely dealing with urban nuisance wildlife. Go to thesixfiguretrapper.com. And you can help promote humane and compassionate treatment for urban wildlife by going to iTunes and giving this show an awesome, awesome review. The animals will thank you for it. Dusty showers. Anyone ever tell you that sounds like a porn name? Hi, this is Lynn Austin, the original Hooters girl and Playboy's Playmate of the Month for July. Don't you worry about what year. Anyway, you're listening to the possum kisser himself, Dusty Showers, and Urban Wildlife Tales. Can someone get this kid some help? Seriously. <laughs>